welcome back to another episode of Running East to West, a podcast focused on the NFL. My name is Max. And I'm John. So last week we kind of focused just on the NFC and AFC championship games. So this week, and kind of the the one <laughs> one week out of the like the NFL's calendar where there really isn't anything, um, we're gonna be looking at the Super Bowl matchup, which is between your Patriots and mm-hmm. not my Falcons. <laughs> um, there's also some um, uh, other news. Um, we've got some new hires, particularly in San Francisco with John Lynch, and then just kind of some some other little here. Uh, little bits here and there that we'll we'll chat about but um kind of the first question for you is did you watch the pro bowl no i i was going to and then i decided i had better things to do (laughs) so so you just like just about every other american probably did the same um oddly enough i was in orlando this weekend which is why i couldn't watch the game because i was busy with some stuff um but yeah i didn't the only thing I've seen from it was a highlight of Lorenzo Alexander trying to take off mm-hmm. Jimmy Graham's head, like, <laughs> and him just getting up and being like, "Dude, what are you doing?" <laughs> yeah, that and uh, his interception are really all I saw. And then yeah. I watched some of the skills challenges, like highlights and stuff. Those were cool, but the game, like, it just it wasn't enticing enough for me to put away my Sunday for it. Yeah, I actually haven't even seen anything from the skills challenge, although I heard um, PFT was reporting that the, the viewership was actually pretty high, um, so they, they expect them to be back. Mm-hmm. I, I have I have to say, sitting in a hotel that was probably too... I could see the, the stadium from my, my hotel room. Um, I, I'm just amazed at the amount of people that come to this. Really? Yeah, like I was sitting in the lobby yesterday... And it was raining. It was raining. It was cold. It was probably like in the 50s in Orlando, Florida. Um, and people were like decked out in jerseys and like they were excited for this. And I'm like, why? <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I just, um, yeah, no, I, I, I have um, just, I couldn't put it together. Like I was, my wife was like, well, why are they, why are they all dressed up? And I was like, I have no idea. You, you could not pay me. No, you could. You could pay me. But you would have to pay me a lot of money to go travel to the Pro Bowl. Well, you know, my parents actually went to a few in Hawaii in the early, like, 2000s. And they actually said they were really, really fun um, and meeting players and stuff and all the other things that uh, were kind of involved in it back when they had the skill challenges back then. Um, I think it being in Orlando takes a lot of that away, at least for me and my desire to go to it. But, I mean, I'd go to anything pro football related if I had the chance. <laughs> yeah, Later. yeah. I just, it's just not, like, it's worse than the Thursday night games, and I think Thursday night games are just atrocious. I don't care for that decision either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. So, so yeah, we're not going to spend a ton of time. I don't. I think AFC one, which again has zero bearing on anything. At least, at least with baseball, that that determines who gets home field in the um, in the World Series. Um, it's not even bragging rights. It's like, oh, you played more less hard, like because <laughs> and and the other thing too is that my kind of final thought on this is like. With the amount of guys who have excused themselves from the Pro Bowl, because 
kind of by virtue you're going to be having some of the best players not participating because it's they're busy with the Super Bowl and then now any guy can basically claim some minor in- injury which they probably all have some sort of injury but a lot of guys will be like yeah I'm I'm hurt so like when you finally get to the pro bowl like the actual game it's like across the board like third and fourth string guys granted these are all really good guys but these are not like the pro bowlers yeah that's true um it's kind of unfortunate but it's especially understandable when you consider uh the injury factor and even if they aren't injured aren't injured and saying that oh yeah all of a sudden my my toe's been acting up that turf toe's getting at me um (laughs) you know the fact that they could potentially like lose a ton of money in their contract or trying to get a new contract kind of sucks so Mm -hmm. i you know i was thinking about it the other day and i was almost wondering if they took the pro bowl from being that I think the winning team last I checked got like 60 K or something. Yeah. It's if they, 61. Yeah. Yeah. Like if they just made that a bigger incentive, I mean, I think that might drive it to be better and have them perform because you do still have the, it seems like mostly the younger guys that'll come in and actually play, but then all the older guys and all the dudes who are trying to, um, you know, make their, career as long as possible just kind of enjoy the the show aspect of it and the fandom Mm -hmm. yeah like i mean a guy that like you're mentioning you know someone who's going into his contract here is kirk cousins now he went out and from what i read he actually played pretty well um but again no one's going to be looking at the pro bowl and being like you know hmm yeah let's let's watch film on that to like make a decision (laughs) on if we should you know give him a big contract um but I think you really get at something at the end there is is that the the Pro Bowl in its current form, like should just really just be removed, and it should really, my opinion is that it needs to be way more fun and way more of like a celebration. Mm-hmm. So like, just take the pads off, make it flag football, make it seven on seven. Like like, I think I remember a couple of years ago, like Je- I was Jeff Saturday's last year, and he was the Pro Bowl, um, and this was, I think this was when they did when they were doing the team drafting again where like yeah the fantasy draft type stuff yeah which which again i don't necessarily know if that was really interesting it was like interesting one year and then of course because the nfl like can't just leave good enough alone like it was like one pick and then there'd be a commercial one pick and then you know it's just it was just stupid um if anything it should have been like fans doing it or something like that but but uh, mm-hmm. like just saturday switched sides so that he could snap to Peyton Manning one last time. Um, you know, so, like, stuff like that, I think that they should embrace. Like, you know, let Richard Sherman, instead of being a corner, like, let him play wide receiver. Or, you know, let uh, you know let Vince Wilfork be a running back. Like, <laughs> let them be fun and, and let them kind of, like, mess around with it. Like, that would be funny to me to be, like, you know, everyone celebrates a fat man touchdown. It's like, why don't you let it happen in the Pro Bowl and just just take the pads off? Let them run around with those floppy hats on and, like, you know. It, you could even do something stupid where, you know how there's always that chatter about, like, mm-hmm. at the Olympics of having, like, a regular dude, like, run just so we can see how much greater they are than us? Like, you know, have have a regular guy try and go cover Des Bryant or something like that, Ouch. you know? 
like like that'd be fun like that'd be funny to do but instead like they take it way too seriously and just like like normal the nfl the the front office of the nfl just ruins it well you know they kind of started going that route in fairness to them with uh, the skills challenges coming back and some of the things they implemented there um from everything that i saw and i read one of the most what most writers were calling the most entertaining part of it was the afl versus or afc versus nfc dodgeball match um which is about as silly as it gets minus floppy (laughs) hats um it's an absolute schoolyard game and uh, people were saying they loved it essentially and then on some of the skills challenges they had the drone drop they put a drone like 150 or 200 feet in the air and dropped a football from it to see who could get the you know craziest catch and surprise surprise it was obj that managed to pull it <laughs> off to no one's shock stick them <laughs> yeah so they've kind of embraced that so i hope they do go more that route because that i unfortunately was super busy thursday night but um that was something I was looking forward to, and I liked what I saw from the replays and the highlights and everything. Yeah, I think I think that's where I'd want to see it go. It's just sort of this, like, you know, just have like have guys run against each other, like see who's fastest, you know, like just like stuff like that, like like the the kind of just you know the sort of back and forth bar conversations that you have that you would you know that you that we always chat about, but we never actually get to see practically, you know, like who has the better arm strength, you know, like watch Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers huck a football, you know, like, Mm -hmm. like that's the kind of stuff I want to see. I don't, I don't want to see guys going at half speed kind of fake tackling each other because no one wants to get hurt. And then like, and, and in all fairness, like, the, for my team, like a lot of the Seahawks players do take it seriously, which I also think is kind of stupid because it's like, why? <laughs> like, like you're just going to go get yourself hurt. Um, you know, I, I understand that for some guys, like a guy like KJ Wright, like this is the first time he's ever gone there. I think Doug Baldwin as well. You know, like I get it, like they want to participate. But like Richard Sherman's basically been in it like the last like four years and like same mm-hmm. with Cam Chancellor. Like y'all don't need to be like you guys are only getting older. Like I would rather just see you guys sit around in a floppy hat (laughs) yeah i agree and kind of my final thought on it um kind of back to your (laughs) point uh as far as you know getting the best quality there i think that if they don't go the sillier route with it and kind of keep the whole semi-serious aspect of it that they should at least move it to after the super bowl so it can be Mm -hmm. not only can you have all the people all the best players there but it can also be like a, another type of celebration. And I mean, everyone looks at it right now, you and I included, as it's just like a, a filler into the Super Bowl. It's a way to give them a bye week, essentially, and still have something for the NFL to show, uh, which is stupid. And um, I think they should at least make that change and take it back to Hawaii, for goodness sakes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, we we spent probably way more time on the Pro Bowl than it deserved. But yeah, I agree. I think it like every year there's a ton of discussion about how it should get changed, and I don't, I don't. It just feels like the NFL just is kind of always 
fumbling in the dark, like not sure how to do it when mm-hmm. it seems really obvious, but that's neither here nor there. All right. So as far as I know, there are no big GM openings anymore because uh, yesterday or the day before over the weekend, the 49ers hired, um, shockingly, longtime broadcaster at Fox um, and former, is he Hall of Fame? I don't know. He was really good. I'll t- sorry, I don't remember if he's a Hall of Fame or not, but uh, John Lynch. Um, I know he mm-hmm. played for the, the Broncos, and i um, pretty sure he played for the um, Buccaneers as well. A um, mm-hmm. little bit of a surprise. Yeah, I... Like, I, when I first saw it, I looked into it. I'm like, is there a second John Lynch? Because the one that I know of, although he was an amazing player, I mean, he's a broadcaster. Like, why would he be hired as a GM? Um, I just don't, I don't really get it. Yeah, that's kind of the same thing. That was my same thought was, why? Uh, You you know, not necessarily that a, a broadcaster isn't, qualified in a sense like i look at a guy like lewis riddick um he's on espn and i believe he was a he's with the eagles i think um under uh, andy reed um and i mean that dude is smart like mm-hmm. he knows his stuff if you've ever listened to him and like i know his name had popped up a little bit around the search um obviously didn't get the position so like um you know it's not that you can't be a broadcaster. Mark Dominique, he's another guy. I think he's at ESPN as well, um, who's a former uh, the Buccaneers GM. Um, so these guys, you know, they can jump in there, but John Lynch went from player to broadcaster, so he didn't have that front office experience. Um, and yeah, I'm still just kind of... I haven't actually seen really any, not necessarily coherent, but like... Any grand, yeah, like, what was the reasoning behind the 49ers deciding to hire him, um, especially when he's going to have Shanahan as his head coach? Um, mm-hmm. And and the what I read is that the breakdown is going to be Lynch will have final say on the 90, but Shanahan will have final say on the 53. Um, That's weird. So, yeah, so Shanahan will be the one that will be actually cutting – or making the decision on which players are cut, whereas Lynch seems to be more responsible for sort of acquiring talent and bringing them in. Yeah, I just I don't really get it. I think they're trying to use maybe the thought process that the Broncos did with Elway and that he didn't do much um, NFL-wise until he came on. I think he first came on as like an executive assistant before officially becoming the GM like a year or two later. But I think they're trying to use that star player power to maybe attract talent uh, the way that Elway, albeit I'm far from a fan, uh, he's done it pretty effectively. And um, he's managed to pull some really big free agents to a team that previously was pretty undesirable. Uh, Mm. So I, I think that might be their goal for it and obviously he's a very smart football player he's you know a student of the game he's obviously shown this in many ways including his Super Bowl victory um, on one of the better defenses in a long time Um, and he is a finalist for a Hall of Fame right now I just looked 
did a quick check mm. on that. So okay. he definitely has a player pedigree to say the least, and he has the smarts there. But the, I mean, the difference between being a player and being like an analyst in the, not even in the booth and just like the studio, um, to being a GM just doesn't really. It doesn't compute to me, no matter which way I look at it. it yeah, that, that's what it is. It just feels like there's a disconnect, like there's a step missing. Like you said, Elway kind of had this transitional, you know, this kind of transitional quality to him. Um, and, and even then, like, he went to a team, his team, effectively. He was the Broncos quarterback and then years later became their GM. Mm-hmm. Or as far as I know, Lynch doesn't have any notable connection to the 49ers um i, I just think, so. think think of him as a, a buccaneer and a, a a bronco um i mean i don't want to i'm skeptical just because it doesn't seem like he like we said he doesn't have the experience there i don't want to say that he can't do the job he may very well i mean everyone's got to get a start somewhere just usually doesn't seem to be as the guy <laughs> you don't start at the top yeah um but i guess um, and I don't remember if we talked about this last week or if we've just chatted about it. You know, there there seems to be this sort of like simmering theory now, especially with head coaches, that the head coach may not necessarily need to be the subject matter expert for the team. Um, you know, we always hear about like, well, they want to get a defensive head coach. They want to get an offensive head coach where, you know, I think a lot of people could argue you don't necessarily need to have an expert head coach in one side of the football or the other. You need a good head coach who can find himself excellent subordinates. Like, you need to find a guy who can get you your the next Kyle Shanahan or the next Dan Quinn or, you know, like, in a sense, and, and not, to, not to downplay him, but in a sense, you want to be like Belichick. Like, obviously, he's a very, very, very good defensive coach. Like, he, he's, he's probably one of the best defensive coaches that have been out there. But... You've got Matt Patricia and um, Josh McDaniels kind of as his left and right hand sort of running the show. It helps to have Tom Brady. Um, <laughs> a bit. Yeah, just a, just a little. Um, but, you know, you can see that sort of model where you have these two very skilled guys who are able to focus, and he probably just lets them kind of, you know, do their thing. Um, and maybe that's the same way that they'll go is that John Lynch will kind of sort of be like the puppet master and he'll have like a really good cap guy and he'll have a talented scout department and you know like he can he can kind of assemble a team around him and he just needs to sort of be able to make the decisions um so you know i don't know it's just weird it'll be interesting to see just because being in the nfc west you know seattle will be playing playing them so i'll I'll definitely be seeing kind of like how they do and you know this first draft is obviously going to be really interesting um especially paired with shanahan but yeah (laughs) i'm still i definitely have a wait and see on this one no kidding and and to end on kind of an optimistic note on my thoughts on it um for 49ers fans i think that there was nowhere to go but up from bulky so good move in that respect that <laughs> always look on the right <laughs> side of life. Um, 
So it just kind of, we don't have to spend a ton of time on this one just because I don't think either one of us know a ton about this guy. But um, the other kind of GM position that was filled over the weekend was the Colts hired Chris Ballard. Um, his name kind of leaked out. Like there was, there was like a six finalist or something, but his came out as like a pretty early like favorite and he got the, he, he was named um, GM. I'm pretty sure he was an internal hire um, and he got the Jim Ursay um, seal of approval saying he's the best GM candidate in the 21st century, <laughs> which promptly threw his former GM right under the bus. <laughs> Oh, he has spent a lot of time under the bus recently, <laughs> in fairness. With all this prescription medication. <laughs> the whole, his greatest triumph was deflate gate, all that nonsense. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a, Kraft had that one. <laughs> that was pretty amazing. <laughs> uh, such a low blow. Um, yeah, I, I don't know much about him, and Ursa is going to prop him up on a pedestal and... I don't know it, the whole 21st century thing, and it. There was a quote about him um, talking about Pagano, saying there's no other options, <laughs> which, uh, yeah, <laughs> like cool. You exist, guy. I I cannot get rid of you. Therefore, <laughs> you remain. He's the best head coach that was in this building at the time. Yeah. Oh, and I had heard rumors um, before Ballard was hired. Um, I think it was like during the NFC Championship game that people were like, um, like, oh, the the Colts may try and make like a last minute um, push to sign Shanahan after like literally days after they were like, yeah, Pagano, he's our guy. <laughs> then this rumor came up that like, no, they were gonna try and like dark horse um, Shanahan away from the 49ers because he can't like officially become their coach until after the Super Bowl. Now, um, obviously, nothing came of that yet. Um, yeah, he hasn't signed yet. Yeah, true. I mean, they could they could really screw up the 49ers that way. But um, be really funny too. Yeah, I mean that that whole to me they feel like where the the Cowboys were like four or five years ago, before um, Jerry Jones's son like told Jerry Jones to like get out of here. <laughs> like like I. Th- I don't think any GM is always going to have Ursay just looking over his shoulder and you're going to be saddled to whatever his whim is. And right now it's Pagano who has like been permanently on the hot seat for like the last three years. Mm-hmm. And, and then you've, your hands are also tied in the sense that you can't go in and build the team you want because you have to build it around Andrew Luck. Mm-hmm. So you you have to go and build an offensive first, throw the football offense, and you, that's that's the only thing you can do. Like if you try and be like we're gonna go like, you know, run the ball like you know only throw th- you know twenty five times. Basically try and go like an, a Seattle sort of offense where it's like you know low passing volume relative, you know twenty five to thirty but have like this powerhouse defense like that's just not going to work because it's like well, mm-hmm. we drafted Andrew Luck we have to have three wide receivers and like you know all this kind of stuff so you do have those wide receivers I mean as far as offense building blocks go you can do a lot worse than Luck uh, Dwayne Allen as a tight end and then Hilton Moncrief and Dorsett as your top three uh, wides so I mean I know you 
hold a very significant disdain for luck um, and more power to you there. But there's <laughs> definitely a lot worse situations to be in. And, I mean, if they could learn to acquire someone on the defense who isn't absolutely awful, they could probably be pretty decent. I mean, they were in a championship game two years ago. So there's that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, my... I. I don't think Andrew Luck is bad. I merely think he's overrated. <laughs> I think that if he mm-hmm. didn't have the whole status as like <laughs> being drafted and then people like already wanting to put him in the Hall of Fame after his like first throw, <laughs> yeah, maybe I wouldn't be so uh, frustrated or annoyed at him. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like I don't know enough about Ballard, and I I just know that the 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 indie roster is sort of a mess just because. Um, particularly their offensive line, like Seattle's, is is like bottom of the league, um, and I think you've seen that on you've seen the effects of that on Luck, in that he's been pretty injured in recent years. I think he's spent he's missed significant time the last two years mm-hmm. um, due to injury because of that. So, you know, I that's going to have to be Ballard's like <laughs> that's his cross to bear to try and figure out that whole mess. Um, and yeah, if I were Pagano, I would be, uh, updating my resume cause <laughs> he strikes me. If like you had to give odds of like, who's going to get fired first halfway through a season, I'm like 99% sure it's going to be Pagano and they're like two and six or something like that. Yeah. That, uh, I could very easily see that happen. Ursa doesn't seem like one to, uh, to wait if he feels that way. No, no. But all right, I don't think there's anything else to talk about, right? Meh. Just, just the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, the big game, the Super Bowl. Um, I would have to guess that this is gonna. It seems like on paper that it is going to be a high-scoring game. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, <laughs> I think it will be. Um, I think that the defenses might be better than people expect them to be. That it might make it a little more interesting. Um, and special teams could definitely play a big part on it. But it's undeniable that the strengths of both teams are very easily their offenses. Mm-hmm. Well, so that's a, kind of funny you mentioned that because I was seeing that this is like the f- fourth or fifth time in six years that the number one scoring offense will be competing against the number one scoring defense. Because um, uh, it wasn't, I think it was last year, it was the Broncos defense versus the um, Carolina offense. It, I think the one exception in like this trend was the year Seattle played New England because um, New England was not the top scoring offense at the time. Um, but in each one of those situations, each one of those matchups, the defense won, which would figure to be good news for you guys because New England's defense took the the um, scoring crown uh, this year, the number one scoring offense or mm-hmm. defense rather. Um, but yeah, but yeah, I mean, let's 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 break it down a little bit more. So, um, let's start with the Falcons' offense. They're pretty good. Yeah, they're all right. 
Um, yeah, so like they put they I think they scored like almost 700 points. Um, basically broke all kinds of Falcons records. Um, I don't necessarily know how many or if they broke any NFL records, but they were probably really close. Um, and as we've seen, basically since kind of like November, all through the playoffs, they've been just absolutely shellacking opponents. So, if you're Matt Patricia, how do you how do you stop that? How do you stop this my, uh, Kyle Shanahan, this passing attack, this like kind of combo hybrid run pass, um, you know, rushing, like almost like a West Coast style, like short pass to the running back offense. Well, I think that first and foremost, you have to neutralize Jones as much as possible. And there's no realistic way you're going to take him out of the game. Um, he's, if he has a bad game, he'll be kept under a hundred yards. Um, so it, it's a matter of just keeping him from breaking the game and keeping him from taking it over the top. You know, if he's going to take a single yard, you're going to make him pay. You know, even though he is a big guy, if he's constantly getting harassed and smacked around on the line, he will get frustrated at one point or another. And, um, I mean, that's how you can affect him. And I think that is a big benefit to the Patriots because they have Super Bowl vets on there, especially as you may know, their number one quarter is corner is a Super Bowl vet. Um, so I, I think that taking him out of the equation is the first thing. So if Kyle Shanahan and his offense is going to beat the Patriots, he's going to need to do it with um, Sanu and Gabriel and the running backs being the stars. And whoops. And I think that um, the running backs are very, very talented, but I think they can be pretty well neutralized by the Patriots defense. Um, the run defense is very, very, very good. Um, they've been very effective. I mean, Le'Veon Bell, until he left the game last week, was 3.3 yards a carry. Um, again, he was playing hurt, but it's my best example of an elite running back recently. Um, <laughs> so I think that they can do it um, on those play-action passes. Hightower can keep up with basically any running back. Um, but I think that's what you have to do. Just take Jones out and then just make him pay for every single inch with every other every other player. Yeah, and you actually bring up a really good, um, a good point because there's a stat I saw that um, New England and the Falcons were in the top three for yards after the catch. They're, um, I think it was like Falcons were one and New England was three. Um, however, defending yards after the catch, New England was one and the Falcons were 32nd. Ooh. Yeah, um, something like the New England had only allowed allowed less than 2,000 yards total after the catch, and I think like Falcons were over 4,000 or something like that. So Wow. Yeah, so, so both of the teams excel offensively at getting – like you said, getting yards after that catch. But the Patriots are literally the best team in the league at preventing yards after the catch, whereas the Falcons are the worst. Um, so, yeah, and it's because you just sit there and you watch, and I'm like, I'm just like, how do you figure out? Because you're basically seeing, you'll be seeing two of the, the best offensive coordinators going at it. And I think, and and they're going to be doing it in two different styles. Like for Kyle Shanahan, like I don't think they're going to change their offense 
necessarily. Mm-mm. But what I think you'll see, like, because I think it's already almost perfected in the sense that it's like all of its wrinkles and all that kind of stuff are already built in. But it's so like option based that like you can only defend it so much when guys like when your ride receiver doesn't necessarily know where he's going to go to begin with. Um, so yeah, it'll be C. I, I think Jones, like that's just, I don't like, I don't know how you defend him because like I was thinking about this last week's episode. We didn't really touch on it. Like he's such a freak that I don't necessarily know if there is a corner who can effectively defend him. We've seen Sherman do it every once in a while when they've played some games. Then other games, he hasn't been able to play him as well. Um, and I think that he's the prototype in the sense that he's the same. He has the size comparison. He just doesn't necessarily have this, the speed there. Um, I just I have a feeling that like Julio Jones against Malcolm Butler, like, Butler's just going to get kind of, like, Jones is going to use that size, height, and just kind of sheer mass to just keep him out of the way. I don't know that Butler's going to be on him, to be honest. Um, There's one side of me that has to go, you know, their number one guy, your number one guy, put the best player on the best player. But um, Logan Ryan size-wise matches up a bit better. Um, and that would also allow Butler to erase Sanu or Gabriel, um, which I don't think are necessarily huge threats anyway, but that would, you're essentially guaranteeing you're taking one player out of the game. So if they went with like a Logan Ryan, Devin McCourty combination on Jones, I think the size could be um, mitigated a bit more than it would be with Butler. But... I mean, I still have that gut feeling that goes, you know, put your best player on their best player. And even though he's small, he is very feisty and he plays a lot bigger than he is. Um, He can lay down a hit. Um, I've seen him just lay out running backs and things like that. Um, So I think he could do it. Um, It would be tough, though. But I don't know. I don't expect the Patriots' defense in the Super Bowl to be that predictable i expect it to be more interesting with jones honestly and how they defend him mm. yeah i was trying to th- it's a shame that bell was injured um just because i i think that he's probably a really good analog for what you'll see out of tevin coleman and Devonte freeman um because we talked last week because you noted you noted that their their actual rush yards were pretty low but their overall yards were relatively high and and i was like oh yeah a lot of that came from these kind of like short passes where basically they just leaked out on kind of like a wheel route or they just kind of ran up after blocking and um we're just kind of waiting there and they got a lot of yards that way so it's a shame because i I think it would be an interesting kind of to know or to see what how they handled someone like levy on bell um to kind of get an idea of how they'll they'll try and attack the those two running backs, um, mm-hmm. yeah. So I guess all right. So now, so on the flip side, from the the perspective of the um, the Patriots, how, how do you attack? Like I said, I think an underrated Falcons defense that's gotten better over the last couple weeks months. Um, 
how do you this kind of amorphous Patriots offense that just kind of constantly changes how do you attack uh, the Falcons defense and then and then I guess on the other side kind of from the Falcons perspective how do you slow it down okay um so as far as Patriots going at the Falcons I think that the um the best pathway is going to be to just smack them in the mouth some blunt force uh, so they are very talented, but outside of their defensive line, all their best defenders are smaller, faster guys. So if you can take Blunt and Dion Lewis and just smack them around and wear them down, um, I think that's going to take the size equ- or the speed equation out of it a little bit, and then the play action and the long ball are going to be a lot more effective. So I think just grinding it out and just wearing them down is going to be the first priority. And then just um, the usual dink and dunk. I mean, just Edelman and Amendola and Deion Lewis and James White just keep moving the chains and keep them on the field as much as possible and tire them out. And then as soon as they start to make those mental errors, you start going for those home runs with Hogan and Mitchell um, and just take the top off of them. And... Um, I think that's the best way, although the Patriots seem to find um, any sort of ways to beat any team. So uh, I I think McDaniels is going to make for quite an interesting show. Um, I think he seems he's proven in the past that he's the type of guy that likes to pull off some trickery. So we'll see what happens there. Um, mm. And then on the Falcons, I think that their ability to get to Brady is going to be what decides the game. If they can't get to him or put any effective pressure on him, uh, kind of like the Steelers did last week, um, they hit him a couple times, but he was pretty comfortable 95% of the game. If if he sits like that again, he's going to beat them. Uh, Tom Brady will put up points, and he will put up um, many of them. Uh, so... I think that's their number one priority. Um, they have to just, they just have to get to them. And um, they, I'm, I'm trying to think matchup wise. I mean, they have some very good defenders on there, but the Patriots O line, plus you have uh, like Bennett coming in as a blocking tight end, and then you have running backs that can pick up a blitz very well. You have Blunt, who's just a wall of man. And, mm-hmm. um, you have uh, fullback as well. Uh, so I, I think that's what they have to do. Uh, and they also have to just stay disciplined. Um, they just have to make tackles because people like Julian Edelman, you give him an inch and he's going to take a mile. Um, yeah, yeah. He will, any arm tackles, any just bad hits, and he's going to tack on another you know, 10, 20, 30 yards. Um and I think that they actually probably the second highest priority is they have to learn from the Steelers and not play soft zone. Um, <laughs> that obviously didn't work. Uh, the Patriots receivers are somewhat good at finding those holes in zone defenses. Uh, so I think that's, that's their best bet defensively. Yeah. And, and yeah, the, the Edelman point is something, cause I, we, 
when we were watching that game, I think I was, or even maybe we talked about it last week, I don't remember. Um, I noted that it was like the Steelers defenders were grabbing Edelman by like his shoulders and were like trying to tackle him down. And he's, you know, he's, he's built like a truck. Mm-hmm. He's not tall. He's what? Probably maybe, maybe six foot. No, if, he's five ten or five eleven. Yeah, so he's so he's basically like, you know, this little guy who's just yoked, and people are trying to throw him down, and he's just churning his feet the whole time. And I'm like, God, you guys are just stupid. <laughs> like, I don't know why anyone thinks that's a good idea. Like, that that would get you yelled at on a pee wee football team of mm-hmm. tackling up high, let alone in the NFL against one of the like kind of. A, as much as I just don't like him, like he just seems like an abrasive personality. Like he's a really good player, mm-hmm. um, you know. So yeah, I just had no idea. Like I couldn't understand why they kept doing that, and I was just like, guys, like just wrap up his legs, <laughs> and it, even if you're not going to bring him down, like you'll slow him down enough that like three or four other guys will hit him and knock him over. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, but actually, I wanted to go back to to one point because I think this is I think this is the key to the game, at least for the the Falcons defense and the, the Patriots offense. The biggest difference in Super Bowl forty, what was the Super Bowl that we played in? Uh, forty nine. Forty nine. Or yeah, yeah, forty nine. Yeah. yeah. So this difference in Super Bowl forty nine, I think, within the game was when Seattle lost Cliff Averill. Because up until that point, they had been able to get decent pressure on Brady. Not not like, you know, 15 sacks in the game sort of pressure, but, like, they were dirtying the pocket up. They were, he was kind of doing his, like, signature duck when, like, the, he feels pressure. Like, like, they were getting the sort of pressure between um, Bennett, Averill, and whoever else was rushing at the time. I don't remember who it would have been. Um and the minute that Cliff Averill got the concussion, the pass rush disappeared. And that kind of was when, I, I think that was the final like straw that broke the Seattle defense's back of, you know, basically the entire secondary was dealing with some sort of a torn ligament at that point, and now you had no pass rush, and that's sort of when the Patriots came back and, and would ultimately win. Um, Dan Quinn coached that, and will be coaching this again. I think that's how he's going to try and beat Brady is I think that you, like you said, you, you can't give him time to sit in the pocket. Like you can't play soft and do this whole, like sort of a Seattle mindset of like, well, we're just not going to let you basically the, the odds are in our favor that you won't be able to convert every third down or whatever. And I think that they're going to go heavy to try and get Brady off his spot, get him moving, which he can't do. That's his like, I think even the biggest Brady defenders would say that he's not mobile. Yeah, but um, he's been a lot better this year. He's more mobile than people think he is these days, surprisingly. But but not in the sense that like I'm I'm thinking more of like an Aaron Rodgers or like he gets out of the pocket and he almost becomes more dangerous running around out there. Mm, okay. I, I think I think that that's the way that they're going to attack him is basically just bring the house because like you said it doesn't matter if you know, you let him sit back there for three or four seconds because you're going, like, with eight guys dropping. Like, he's going to find the hole in it. Yeah. So. There's no no ifs, ands, and buts about it, I think. If they can't do that, then 
they better be putting up 40, 45 points. Yeah, I mean, and, and maybe that's also the, the other... Maybe they're so confident in their offense that they, like... It, it was actually someone brought it up. It was on Mike and Mike, I think it was. Um, they were talking to um, they were talking to a former player, but I don't remember who it was. Um, and he said that the Falcons' offense allows the Falcons' defense to sort of play a little loose because it, take an off a defense like Seattle, like they almost know that they can't let let more than seventeen points up on the board because the offense, at least the this current two thousand sixteen team just couldn't get there like there's a couple times where they put up a lot of points but like there are also just as many games where they couldn't get a touchdown let alone like make any sort of progress and so this falcons offense knows or defense rather knows that the offense is is powerful enough that you know if they give up 20 points it's not the end of the world because that offense is capable of putting up like we saw a week ago they put up they could have gone for 50 if they really wanted to um, and I think that that can let them, they can be a little more reckless, maybe isn't necessarily the right word, but they can be more loose with the way that they're playing, that they can afford to every once in a while give up a bigger gain in exchange for the attempt to get that, you know, kind of backbreaker sack or, or tackle for a loss or something like that. Yeah, it's it's possible, but I think that, um, when you're playing the Patriots and especially in the ultimate game, you have to play a complete game as well. So um, I think there's going to be a tricky balance for them and they could definitely pull it off. They have the talent to do so, but um, it's going to be, yeah, I, either way their offense is going to have to put up a lot of points, no matter which way I think about it. Even if their defense plays well, um, you know, Brady can always always come back. Hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, trying to think of some other kind of the other. Well, the other kind of X factor I have right on the top of my head that is uh, woefully underreported is the special teams aspect of it, um, because the Patriots special teams is one of the best in the NFL. Um, we have the perennial Pro Bowl and Matthew Slater who is somehow always making the tackle, it seems like. Um, I, I still don't understand how, because even when he's a gunner, he's always, like, double-teamed, and yeah, he's always making the tackle, which is crazy. <laughs> um, Ryan Allen, the punter, is very good at um, displacement, putting him inside the 20, even inside, like, the 10 and the 5. Um, and then, as we saw in the Kansas City game, um, we have some backbreaker returners that the Patriots have saved seemingly for the playoffs and Deion Lewis's giant return um, because of the playoffs you have Julian Edelman taking punt returns which um, for about I think like the first four years of his career he was statistically the best average punt return yardage in NFL history and then it kind of took a hit once he took less of them um, so a bad one kind of hurt him more than it used to. But I think that that's going to be a big part of it. And uh, the Falcons, I, I lost the stat. I was looking at it earlier, but they have a middling, kind of lower half of the league special teams, um, special teams efficiency. And I I just think that that's one aspect of it that people aren't really looking at very much. But 
I, I mean, you can see a game changer very easily come from that. You know, if they if the Patriots keep getting field position, their average starts at like the 35 yard line. That's a huge deal. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, is Gabriel the Falcons returner? I think so. I'm not sure though. Yeah, he's definitely gonna be one to be if if he is. I think he is, but um, one to to keep an eye on because we we know that he's fast. Might be an understatement, but he's he's <laughs> quick. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, all right. So, as corny as this is, we have to make predictions. What? what uh, let's go this way. Let's, let's kinda, <laughs> we're, we're winging it. We're winging it. We're doing it live here. We're going to call an audible. All right. So, you got to give your prediction and the score. And then, like, tell me, kind of give me, like, like a one to two sentence, like, how you think it gets to that point. <laughs> All right, challenge accepted. So, <laughs> Patriots win 35-28. Um, Falcons aren't able to get enough pressure on Brady. Slowly picks them apart. Hogan has five receptions for 170 yards, just because. Um, <laughs> and defense, I think that uh, the big names will will come up. I think Hightower and Butler will have uh, turnovers, and um, I think there's just too much for for the Falcons. All right, now I got to do it. I got to do it, <laughs> and I'm conflicted because, like I said, kind of to start this off, the top scoring defense has won all the recent. Uh, matchups against the top scoring offense so right there tells me that I should pick the the Patriots just straight up and, and be there and their favorites I don't know there's I'm gonna I'm gonna be contrarian and I, I am not <laughs> I am not confident in this pick but I'm seeing something like a 31 28 Falcons I think I think the the Patriots defense will slow them down, but I think that the Falcons defense will show up. I think you'll see Keanu Neal and Vic Beasley wreck face. And I think that you'll start to see, I think you'll see more of like the um, Super Bowl 48 when like Cam Chancellor took out Demarius Thomas and basically he was irrelevant, I think you're going to see a Cam Chancellor-esque hit from Keanu Neal somewhere in, like, the first, early second quarter that just takes one of the wide receivers, like, and just kind of he doesn't show up for the rest of the game. So that's – I don't feel confident about that. That's my pick. (laughs) Hey, that's fair. Um, My my bottom line, I forgot it in my little speech, I guess, but any day of the week and – doubly so in the Super Bowl um, Belichick and Brady over Quinn and Ryan any day <laughs> but all right so I think we will I think we'll wrap it up for this week not a ton of other news out there um, sorry one last thing oh yeah yeah um, 
I read a stat today or a poll. I think it was on ESPN that said the Patriots are the most hated team in the NFL. <laughs> um, very close was the Cowboys. Um, regardless of how you may feel about them, I think that we as football fans and the drama that was the last year and a half or two years now, um, we deserve to see. We deserve to see the commissioner hand another Super Bowl trophy to Tom Brady. <laughs> I, I there is there is a part of me as someone who who was like the only guy in the section loudly booing Roger Goodell when he walked <laughs> around the sideline that I would I would love to see that. So what would really be funny is if Brady wins MVP and has to they have to interact there and then he gets this trophy like it'd just be the funniest thing. And then someone pointed out that if the Patriots win, then the next season opener will be there again, so he'll have to come back to Foxborough. <laughs> Torment never ends, Roger. Yeah, just just keep it rolling. Yeah, it's just seven circles of hell. It's, <laughs> it's, it's just <laughs> each Super Bowl, each Brady Super Bowl, and then there's just Foxborough is the seventh. <laughs> uh, that'd be amazing. That would be worth the whole thing for me, just to watch that little moment in time. I'll, I'd show that to my kids. <laughs> you can you can pause it and see right the moment when he just <laughs> he lost the will to live. Um, yeah, as as a, a member of hashtag Team Chaos, that would be quite fun to see. So I'm I'm also in favor of that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I think we'll wrap it up for this week. Um, definitely next week we'll obviously cover kind of uh, the results of the game. We'll go over it. Um, a little bit more interesting than a play-by-play that we didn't do of the Pro Bowl. Um, <laughs> but again, yeah, just looking forward. I mean, we're going to be going through the offseason, so uh, free agency starts, like, in, uh, like, first week of March. So we'll have tons to talk about there, and then we'll be getting into the draft through April, and then we'll, we'll have tons of stuff to talk about. So um, definitely, if you want to subscribe, find us on iTunes. Just search for Run in East to West. We're on Twitter. If you search for at East to West Pod, um, you can find us there. New new episodes will be posted there. Um, if, again, if you have any, uh, particularly in the off season, if you have any topics that you want us to cover, like any specific teams to review, um, we're definitely familiar with the Patriots and Seahawks and kind of their divisional opponents. Um, but you know some of the other teams we may not necessarily cover as much like the Colts for example um, they were talking about today mm-hmm. um, but yeah if you listen please subscribe and review that really helps us um, definitely a crowded market so any little bit helps um, but yeah uh, thanks for listening we'll uh, see you next week go Pats <laughs>